Welcome to the Value Driven Brand Podcast, where you'll learn insights on how to communicate with authenticity, deliver genuine value, and create a memorable experience across your entire customer journey, helping your business become the sought-after leader in your industry. I'm your host, Aileen Day. Now, on to the show. G'day everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Value Driven Brand Podcast. I am your host Aileen Day and today I am joined with another amazing and such a knowledge, wealth of knowledge and an international guest this time. Please join me in welcoming Terry McDougall, author of the most fantastic and uh, can I just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into this in a minute, but the book is called the Winning, Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms. And I recently found out that it has been, uh, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for, Terry? <laughs> it's been reviewed. It's been reviewed. Goodness oh, me. yeah. It's been reviewed by... Uh, a woman who I have followed for many, many years in my career, uh, Dr. Lois uh, Frankel, and uh, such a number of absolutely phenomenal names. So congratulations to you on what is a brilliant book and so many people are frothing at it. I don't know if that's a term that you use in America. <laughs> yes, we use that. We use that term. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. I, I hope that I hope the um, translation is the same. Yeah. But for those of you who might not have heard of who Terry McDougall is, she's an executive and career coach and the CEO of Terry McDougall Coaching. She helps high achieving professionals remove obstacles that keep them stuck so that they can enjoy more success and satisfaction. That's what we're all about in their lives and careers. Before becoming a coach, Terry was a longtime corporate marketing executive where she led teams, developed strategies and advised senior leaders to drive business results. And as I mentioned before, she is the author of Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms. That feels right up my alley. And she also is the host of her own marketing podcast called Marketing Mumbo. Uh, and we are joined. We are so blessed to have you join us today. Hashtag blessed. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Terry. How are you? Now, I'd say today, but it's this evening. <laughs> it's yesterday. It's yesterday. <laughs> We're time yeah. warping. How are you over <laughs> in Chicago? How's life I, in Chicago? It, it's, it's really fine. It's a great time of year and things are going well with me and my family. And I am thrilled to be here to talk to you about uh, a value-driven brand. I got my alley. I love it. See, I love this. I love this connection and alignment, even across the world. Now, tell me, I'm always fascinated to learn how it is that people get where they are today. So how is it that you went from uh, leading and running, uh, you know, executive teams down uh, over there and down up over there (laughs) in Chicago, <laughs> to walking away and going, you know, I'm going to be an author, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to coach people, and I'm going to become BFFs with Lois Frankel. How does that happen? How does that happen? I want to know. Oh, it's, Let it's me so live funny. vicariously through you. <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, it's funny. I've, I've answered this question so many times that the more I tell it, the more I realize that it goes back further than what I initially thought. Um, When I first got out of college, well, first of all, um, I come from a blue collar background. I'm the first person in my family to go to college. (gasps) And yes, so, you know, Um, but I set my sights on getting a job in the corporate world. But when I got out of college, um, my boyfriend's mom had done a little career counseling and she gave me a book called What Color Is Your Parachute? And she advised me not to apply or interview for jobs until I read this book and did all the exercises in it. And What Color Is Your Parachute is a, a career book that was written by a start. The first uh, issue came out in 1970 and they updated oh, wow. every year since then. Yeah. Um, but it helped me understand what I like to do and what I was good at. 
And then basically you start with yourself and then you look out into the marketplace and you say, well, if this is what I'm good at and this is what I like to do, where can I find some place that's going to pay me to do that? And so it really shifted my mindset from right at the beginning of my career to realize that that actually is a, a really important key to being successful and happy in your career. And I'm so grateful to Daphne Hubbard, my boyfriend's, my old boyfriend's mom, Thanks, who um, gave me that book. But um, anyway, I mean, I, I ended up getting a, a job in a publishing company, working in the ad sales department, supporting all the salespeople. That helped me learn about advertising and marketing and just started me on the path to a marketing career. Um, when I was in my late 20s, I went back and got an MBA with a marketing concentration and then short, got married right after and uh, shortly after that ended up getting a job in marketing with a large national bank here in the U.S. And I did that for nine and a half years. I mean, it's funny because before I started working in a bank, I thought that it was probably going to be super boring and I, that's why I was never attracted to it but I think like once I got married and I was like well I want to like get paid well so we can buy a house and have kids and all this kind of stuff um, I was more open to it and once I got into you know bank marketing I was like wow this is really interesting and there's so much more to it than what you see from the outside and I was mostly working in b2b marketing I did that for nine and a half years and then I got recruited, uh, I was in North Carolina, I got recruited uh, by a bank here in Chicago and I made that move in the early 2000s to come here. Yeah. I uh, came in to head marketing for one of the businesses. I stayed there for 12 years. I Oof. had four different jobs while I was there. I moved around and I, I ran marketing for three different businesses and I actually did, uh, I headed the event marketing team for the whole company for a year. Ooh. So I, uh, in, the, in the 12 years that I was in that company, I'd say like 10 of the years were fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty good innings. I know you don't do, yeah. you do, you do, you do, um, what do you call it? Um, baseball. They have innings, don't they? That's a good innings. Yeah, yes, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 10 out of 12. Um, but what happened was that the last job that I had, I did not apply for it. I actually didn't want it. But my boss was like, I want you in this role. And, you know, sometimes you just got to do what your boss tells you. And uh, I never thought it was, I didn't think it was going to be a good fit. That's why I didn't want the job. And it wasn't actually a very good fit. And I just felt like I was sort of struggling, not just, you know, because, I mean, for a number of reasons, a lot of the reasons had to do with how the company was structured and where they had us in marketing and there were a lot of like mismatches within the organization of why it was making it really difficult to do this job yeah. and it just got me thinking like I don't really like what I'm doing I was looking around and I was like I didn't really see any opportunities the company I work for was actually foreign owned and wow. so yeah. there was only you know there was sort of like a ceiling for roles in the US mm. and I just didn't see anything that I thought was interesting in the in the company uh, for me to move on that had been you know for 12 years that had been kind of my mo like okay maybe there's something different that i can yeah. learn something new um but i actually interviewed for some jobs uh, you know next level jobs for other companies but the funny thing is that i i started realizing that i wasn't super excited about even though these were quote unquote good jobs mm. i didn't like leave it feeling excited yeah. and that just got me thinking like maybe I've kind of outgrown this you know maybe yeah. there's something that I should be doing differently and it got me thinking about going back to what you know how I started my career what do you like to do and what are you good at yeah and I actually even started looking at myself and saying like what is it about marketing that I like yeah and I mean I like the creativity I like the intellectual challenge of understanding the complex businesses that I supported but the thing that I liked best about it was sitting down across the table from business leaders, understanding their problems and coming up with solutions to help them address the business problems. Yeah. You know, it was really that consulting and helping aspect. Yeah. And that's actually what coaches do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 
I actually had hired coaches a couple times in my career and also as a marketing leader, I had always invested a lot of time and energy in coaching and mentoring people on my team and then also people that were just in the greater marketing department. Yeah. And I, I just thought it made a lot of sense to invest in that. You know, it, it was good for the people because they felt more confident, they were growing, yeah. it's great for the company, and it was great for me, you know, and you have really great, smart people working for you that are, com you know, doing great work. Yeah. Made my job easier. So um, I guess it slowly dawned on me, and I, I met somebody in networking who actually uh, had been a PR professional, and her story sounded a lot like mine. Like she sort of felt like she had sort of outgrown what she was doing, and she decided to go and get a coaching certification. And she introduced me to the school that she went to, and I checked it out, and I thought, hmm, I think I want to do that. How exciting. And, uh, yeah, initially I really thought that it was just going to be sort of a sabbatical. Like I actually left my job and I just thought, okay, I'll just sort of detox from the last couple of years of not being happy. I'll figure out what I want to do next. I'll get this coaching certification and then I'll probably just get another job and just do this on the side. Yeah. And then maybe when I get closer to retirement, I'll do it full time. But uh, just going through the program and being around other people who either already had their own businesses or were going to start their own business, I say that that entrepreneurial spirit is contagious. Yes, it is. I just, I was already, you know, I kind of started having this momentum and I thought, what the heck, I'm just going to, I'm just going to start my own business and see how it goes. And, um, you know, here I am, it's, it's more than four years later and I'm, I'm still out here doing it and I love it and I just feel like uh, you know all the hustle and seeds that I planted along the way are, are blossoming for me now and it's and plus I love what I do I absolutely love it it's just yeah. so wonderful to help people step fully into their their potential and and really like I said expand that overlap between their success and their happiness because there are a lot of folks out there who are quote-unquote successful like, yes. you know, they've got the title, they're making the money, but man, are they stressed out? Are they Miserable. anxious? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like you shouldn't have to sacrifice <laughs> that much to, you know, make money or get the title or whatever, right? Yeah, you, should, you should have enough space in your life to invest your time and talent in, in doing great work, but also have enough headspace and heart space and time to enjoy yourself. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of what uh, I work on is creating what's called the value-driven brand so that the offshoot of a value-driven brand is a value-driven life. Because yes. if you if you have all the components to create a value-driven brand, then it's naturally those components flow into the way you live as well. So, you know, hopefully less, uh, less heart attacks, less uh, people dying of stress and misery. Absolutely. What's the, yeah, really, what's the point? That's what's the point. And I, I mean, I, a lot of times will start off coaching engagements with having people do a values assessment, mm. you know, to really see like, am I living up to the things that I say I value in my life or where, yeah. it, you know, if there are conflicts between like achievement and spending time with family, just being a lot more intentional mm. about the trade-offs that you decide to make in your life. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's important to do in business as well. You know, it's mm. not all about, you know, profit at any cost. Well, right? exactly I mean, right. If it is, you're probably not doing business right. Well, you're not doing life And you're not right. going to last. <laughs> you're not going to last, right? It can, it might work for a while, but I mean, this is, we're getting at the heart of, um, you know, what brand is all about. It's really mm. a promise. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So speaking of brand, this is the Value Driven Brand Podcast. And I know for a fact that you have some really amazing insights in how business owners and leaders and entrepreneurs can go and create that value-driven brand for themselves. And the first one that we're going to talk about is uh, around brands being unique. And mm -hmm. it is such, like, even just yesterday, I did my quarterly planning for the coming quarter and I literally, oh, I don't have it with me, but I literally wrote in my planning book, uh, how do you uh, create uniqueness when everybody claims to be 
uh, an expert, when everybody claims to be the solution? How mm-hmm. how do you how do you do that? Tact, you know, how do you do that in real life? Be unique. Well, I mean, I think if you don't want to be a commodity, you know, a commodity is is something that's sold uh, based on price, mm. right? If you don't want to be a commodity, you have to differentiate your offering. You know, people have to be willing to pay a premium for it. So that means that you've got to think about what is my unique selling proposition. And I think that the way that you do this is by really understanding the needs of the marketplace. You know, maybe looking at things differently and understanding like what are what are the pain points that my target audience is feeling? Mm-hmm. How can I potentially address their needs in a way that's different than the way that my competitors are doing it? Yeah. And, you know, I like to, you know, there's certain uh, brands that I kind of hold up that I think revolutionized um, this whole idea of, of being unique and are doing really well. I mean, I think Zappos, I don't know if you guys have Zappos. We don't have them, but we know all about them. (laughs) Yes. You know, Zappos is, is a great one that, you know, you can order shoes and you can, you know, it's, it's free shipping both ways. And yeah, you're not going to get them on sale in the way that you might at the discount store, but you know, the convenience of it is, and they understood why people don't want to order shoes through the mail or online because it's a pain, right? It's a pain if like they don't, what if they don't fit, you know, Mm. if you have to return them, it's a, it's a pain, but they, they understood that and they differentiated themselves by removing that obstacle, you know? And so people are willing to pay a little bit more than going to your local shoe store that might not have the selection. Yeah. See, they, they've got the best of both worlds. They've got a tremendous selection um, and you don't even have to leave your house to yeah. buy the shoes. Yeah. Um, and if you, you know, actually what I would do is order, you know, um, I live here in Chicago and so I used to have to commute into the city and uh, you have to have really good snow boots because when you're outside all the time, your feet get cold. But when I needed new boots, I would order like six or seven or eight pairs in different sizes, different styles, and just try them on at home and then pick one and return the rest of them. Oh, that was so easy, right? It's so easy. Um, And they they understood that. Um, You know, I think obviously Apple is one that people talk about a lot, but, you know, Steve Jobs kind of, I mean, there were MP3 players before the iPod. Right. I mean, I knew of them. My mm. kids would go to like a birthday party or, or somebody would come and they'd get one. But you couldn't figure out how to make them work. Yeah. Right. And they stepped back and said, what's the pain point here that most people find it too difficult to understand how to use these things? Yeah. Right. And, and they were like, what do people want? Well, they want a thousand songs in their pocket yeah. and they want it to be easy. So they looked at the whole process and that's what they became known for is, is like that human centered design. And, yes. you know, and we know how, you know, maniacal, maniacally loyal uh, Apple, Apple users. users can be, right? <laughs> no, I wouldn't consider any other phone. I don't care. I just got a new phone and it was a thousand dollars. You know, I don't care. Only a thousand dollars. Uh, it, well, may, it might have been a little bit more than that, but well, that's, um, that's U.S. in Australia. Yeah, we yeah. we like to pump up the price a little bit. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that uh, that thousand dollars would be uh, much closer to two thousand. Uh, okay. I in Australia, <laughs> yes. Add uh, add a few taxes and fees onto there, and and uh, Bob's your uncle. But that's that's the point. People still right. Pay it. Don't even think about it. Don't even, Don't even think, think about, about it. it. Yeah, I just had just... to replace my laptop not long ago and um, my old trusty laptop of nine years. Thank you for serving mm-hmm. me well. Wow. That's uh, amazing. I know. <laughs> and everybody, everybody was like, oh, you need a Mac. You, you edit videos, you create content, you need a Mac. You can't live without a Mac get a Mac. I'm like, I have not one single Apple device in this household. No, no, it doesn't matter. Get a Mac. And I'm like, I refuse, I refuse to get a Mac. 
<laughs> so I actually, I actually got a custom made laptop uh, for probably half the price of a Mac. Yes. You know, it's, it, I will say like my first computer that I bought was a Mac because, and this is like 25 years ago, because I was doing graphic design. And at the time that, you know, at, back then the software did not, you know, you had to have either Mac software or, yes. and they actually made a lot more software for the Mac for graphic design. So I had a Mac and then, you know, a few years later when I needed a new computer, the price differential was such that, and then plus I had like an IBM at work. Mm. And so I got, I got it just a PC and I had PCs for a long time because every time I'd get a new computer, I'd look and I'd be like, oh man, those Macs are so expensive. I don't know if I want to spend the money, but my husband had a photography business and he used a Mac and he was like, you should just do it, just do it. <laughs> and so the last time that I got um, a computer, I got a Mac. Finest. And I, but I'm so happy that I did. Like I, I, I forgot what I was missing. Like mm. everything, you know, like my phone and my computer and my AirPods, like everything works yeah. together um, yeah. perfectly. You know, they just understand that's how they differentiate, right? That's yeah. how they're unique is that yeah. they're thinking holistically. Yeah. And they're, you know, it's a cult. It's a cult. It is a bit of a cult, <laughs> but that's because they've done it so well. And it's, yes. and you mentioned before, it's that human centered design. And mm -hmm. so for people who might not know what that means and they're kind of going, okay, well, it's great that, um, uh, Apple and Zappos and, and they've figured out the pain points. But what are maybe a couple of points around, uh, you know, getting out there and figuring those pain points out for myself? How do yes. I do that? Like what are uh, a couple of things I could do that are easy to, to just make happen? No excuses. Yes, I think um, go out and talk to people that you would like to serve. I mean, mm. well, first of all, talk to your best customers and say, what is it that you love about working with me or my company? Um, what could we do better? Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, do a little research and it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to hire a research company. You can actually, you know, go on LinkedIn or, or, um, you know, depending on what kind of business you have, you can reach out to people. You can do a survey monkey and send it out to people and ask, um, ask them, you can, you know, maybe even incent people to do the survey by saying that, okay, we're going to do a giveaway or you get to, you know, ha like sample our work if you do the survey. Yeah. But, you know, just getting curious about what, what it is that people need that you could provide yeah. and, and thinking a little outside the box too, not like how do we, you know, how do I do a me too type thing? You know, like what you want to do is like, if everybody's zigging, you want to zag. Yeah. Um, so that you're differentiated, right? Absolutely. This is what, what makes you unique? Yeah, absolutely. I've always said, you know, keeping up with the Joneses is just how in business we make sure that we're never seen to be different. And, and everyone that says, oh, this is uh, best, best practice. Mm -hmm. Who better than best? Yeah, exactly. Like if you know what best practice is, then do it better than best. Well, you know, it's. Um, I think that one of the things that's super interesting, and I, I was just reading about this in um, in a book about the um, digital photography. It was Kodak that came up with digital photography, and they were making so much money from film that they shelved the digital photography. <laughs> And then other companies, you know, developed it separately and they, you know, put it out on the market and all of a sudden, you know, film became obsolete and it mm. was way too late for Kodak to catch up. Wow. So, you know, sometimes we have to think outside the box. We have mm. to, you know, maybe sometimes really, you know, it, when I was in business school, they would talk about, you know, buggy whip manufacturers. <laughs> You know, like before the car, right? That like, yeah. oh, everybody needs a buggy whip, right? To, <laughs> to drive your horses, to pull the buggy, right? And if, you, if you're just thinking like, how do I become the best buggy whip manufacturer? Well, you're just going to become obsolete. 
Not right? unless you pivot into the kink and BDSM scene. <laughs> True. I'm not sure if that was big in 1906 or whatever, don't but who knows? I don't know. Could be. Could be. Who knows what was going on in those barns, right? My, my grandmother always used to say to me, you think you invented that? <laughs> Right. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, what is it? The the Marquis de Sade, right? Uh, you know, that was like way, way before, you know, buggy whips probably. So, yeah. But it's true. It's true. Absolutely. And if you're not, I guess, you know, if you're not looking outside the box and, and trying to figure out, okay, well, what comes next? And instead of, you know, like being the best in a, um, in a, in a field, why can't you kind of, I, I, I've always loved growing up people would say to me Aileen you're very lateral and initially I thought it was a um insult Mm -hmm. but now I've realized it's actually I love the fact that people think I'm left of center I think Uh it's actually quite awesome and Mm -hmm. and for me that's my uniqueness is that I am very lateral thinking and um and I think we need more lateral thinkers yeah definitely more people to go I'm going to go sideways instead of, you know, in front, you know, looking at what's in front of me. I'm yeah, absolutely. Sideways. And, you know, when they say, oh, the path, the path, you know, should look like this. Make, yeah. make it look like this because that's yeah. where you're going to learn stuff. Yeah. So I think yeah, that I is- mean, one of the things that, like, just as we were talking, it just reminded me of this book that I read probably about 10 years ago called uh, Blue Ocean Strategy which is the whole idea is that, you know, like where there's the blood in the water, where everybody else is competing and, and, you know, the sharks, you know, competing (laughs) for the, you know, (laughs) circling, right? Like, don't go in the red ocean, like where it's bloody and it's competitive. Like, look out there and say, where is there blue ocean where nobody else is competing, Mm. you know, like, and, and, um, you know, another book that comes to mind is um, Simon Sinek's um, Start With Why. Yes. You know, like, why do people buy this product? Mm. You know, and maybe there's some opportunity around why they buy it that you haven't thought of that you could, you know, innovate or some somehow differentiate, yeah. you know, what what you're doing so that people you know, that you, you become a brand that they're willing to pay uh, a premium for. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So fantastic. Be unique. Stop being like everybody else. It's no fun. We need, right. We need variety. It's the spice of life, everybody. Thank you. All right. So the second one that we uh, were talking about is how brands can be consistent. Now, Mm -hmm. this is a big, big, big thing for, I guess, me personally, because for me, I am what I call a bowerbird. Now, I don't know if you have bowerbirds in the US or if you're listening over in any other part of the world outside of Australia, you might not know what a bowerbird is. You might not know what a bowerbird is if, if you live in Australia. And a bowerbird is this beautiful black and blue bird uh, that builds nests out of shiny objects. And okay. it is constantly on the lookout for new and sparkly things to add to its nest. And it builds these beautiful, gorgeous nests out of all manner of beautiful items. And to me, that's my brain, right? I have all of these sparkly, beautiful ideas and I'm constantly having to correct myself back to the path to refocus, to stay consistent because no sooner do I find something that I need to be consistent in then something shiny and sparkly comes and gets my attention and I want to run off and go and pick that up and and play with it. So Mm -hmm. I call myself a bowerbird and the reality is that in, in any part of business, whether you're an entrepreneur or a leader in a business or a business owner, consistency has to be key. It really has to be key. I, I struggle with it because I like doing things for a short period of time and then jumping onto the next thing. Mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we live consistency in a brand? 
Well, you know, I, I think of what's the meaning of brand? To me, the meaning of brand is the promise. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all about, you know, sometimes people think of like the brand as the logo, mm-hmm. you know, or the colors or the, the little, you know, pitch mascot or whatever that they use in their commercials. Mm-hmm. And that, that can be part of the brand expression. But the reality is that people expect, you know, if they're going to follow your brand and they're going to buy from you, they want to understand what, what am I trading my money and my time for mm-hmm. if I'm going to come into your McDonald's? What's it going to be like, right? Like, is there always going to be a Big Mac and fries and milkshakes on the menu? Is, is the, you know, wrapper on the Big Mac going to look the same? You know, that, that's reassuring to people. That yeah. makes them feel like they can trust this organization. And that's what, that's what brand is all about. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't innovate. And in fact, we should be doing that. We should be thinking about like, what's the next thing people are going to expect. It's important for us to do that because, you know, I think in some cases, like all of us are somewhat of a Balibird, right? That we want new things. We want variety, right? But we can't just be, you know, like one day you walk into McDonald's and it's like all purple. And then the next day you walk in and they've, you know, done away with the seating you know like it's um or you, the next has time you go in actually. it's like well i mean i know with like with covid right um but uh it maybe the next time you go in and it's like a make your own burger restaurant right yeah. like pretty soon people would be like i'm not going there yeah. because i don't know what to expect there's yeah. no consistency and then i think um you know the aspects of brand around color and the logo and all of that, like that's important to be consistent around too. You know, yeah. I, when I worked in marketing, you know, we, we had brand standards, you know, yeah. at the banks that I worked at. And, you know, there was, you know, the logo elements had to be a certain size and a certain proportion to each other. And we weren't allowed to use the logo on certain, you know, backgrounds. We could only use the logo in certain colors. And every once in a while, somebody in the business would come along and be like, oh, it's St. Patrick's Day. Let's just make it green. And I'm like, no, like this is sacrosanct. We can't do this because it will be confusing. Some Mm. of our biggest competitors, their colors are green. Right. And so if somebody sees green, they're going to think, you know, um, instead of instead of uh, the bank that I worked for, you know, and we don't we invest a lot in the brand and we we want that investment to stand by making sure that we're always consistent. Yeah. You know, and if and, you know, we think about things like, you know, Apple, right. We see that little apple with the bite out of it like they don't make it red sometimes and purple sometimes it's like white or clear um you know they they have their consistency so we know when we mm. even i don't know if you guys you guys probably don't have target but target is we a do big, oh you do okay yeah. um you know you see red like mm. the way that they run ads here is that they usually don't say who it is until the very end of the commercial Mm. right so but i will know it's a target commercial because it's red it's that unique red and it's Mm. got the brand personality of target yeah um you know so you look and you know who it is yeah so and and that's from an integrated marketing point of view Mm -hmm. from an entrepreneurial you know Mm -hmm. the way you operate point of view what are some of the ways that consistency could be achieved? Well, I mean, it could be that you've decided that from a, you know, it could be a process type thing. Like mm. I, I'll give you an example of a, a plumber that uh, came to our house a couple of years ago. They, they cleared out some pipes that we have in our basement mm-hmm. and they left a tag with their uh, the name of the plumbing company and their their uh, phone number and then like a little notation of when they did the work and they attached it to the pipe oh, what a good in idea. the basement. And so when it came time for, I didn't remember who the plumber was. And in fact, I think my husband called them. You know, I didn't even know who it was, but I I was 
replacing the carpet in the basement. And I thought, okay, well, I probably should get the, them to come and like clear out the pipes just to make sure that there's no backups or floods in the basement. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this was part of their process, yeah. right? That they would leave that there because they understand that people are like, I just need to call a plumber. Yes. Right. And I don't How know who good to call. Is that? Right. So they left this tag. And so I just called them. And they were like, oh, yeah, okay. And they came out and, and did the work, right? So that's, that's just something that could be a consistent part of your process. Mm. And it also demonstrates your understanding of the customer, right? Absolutely. That you understand that people are, you know, especially if there's an emergency, they're just like, I just need a plumber, right? Yeah. I've got a flood in my basement or my toilet's backed up or whatever. Yeah. Um, but if you can make it easy for them to remember who to call and then you know, that's, that's just smart. So Um, good. And such a simple, simple little innovation as well. That would be, you know, like each tag probably costs a dollar. 10 cents. Yeah. Less, less than that. It was just like a small piece of cardboard with a piece of wire on it that was attached to the pipe. Wow. And then you've guaranteed, you've essentially guaranteed yourself the next job. Like yeah, what a return absolutely. on investment. <laughs> yes, that's a that's a great ROI on that, you know, 10 cents that that little tag cost. I love it. That is so good. So the third um, the third um, piece that we can talk about is representing the meaning, represent meaning to the consumer and uh, your employees. What mm-hmm. does that mean? Well, you know, we've talked about being unique and we've talked about being consistent. And, you know, there's some obviously crazy things that we can do to be unique. Mm. But if that uniqueness doesn't have any meaning to the customer and then it's worthless, right? Like we could, we could just say like, Oh, everybody that works here has to dye their hair purple or something, you know? And yes, that's unique. Mm. But you know, what if I have, I don't care at all that people's hair are purple. Like how does that, it doesn't have any meaning for me, yeah. right? Unless maybe it's a clown school or something, right? <laughs> um, but, and, and so this kind of goes back to, you know, when you're trying to decide, like, how do I differentiate my offering? Yeah. It's going out and talking to people and saying, okay, well, you know, you buy a lot of, I don't know, milk. Like, yeah. what what is it that has meaning for you? You know, is it that you like that you're buying from a local farm? Do you like that we have like different flavors? Do you like that we deliver it to your house? You know, like, (gasps) which we have, we have dairies around here that do home delivery, you know, and if that has meaning for people and then they're going to be, and actually the dairy that's around us that does that, they do charge a premium. Yeah. But for some people that has meaning, whether that's like they believe it's fresher, it's more convenient. It reminds them of being at their grandma's house whenever the milkman used to deliver every week. Yeah. Um, it's but, interesting uh, that you say that. I literally just the other day was watching uh, uh, a show on Netflix called Seaspiracy, and it is all about the conspiracy that is going on around uh, single-use plastic choking oh, yeah. up the seas and how ultimately the biggest cause of this pollution is actually the fishing industry and this whole um, background of, you know, horrendousness going on around the fact that all these, um, you know, tuna safe, dolphin safe type Mm -hmm. organisations or these organisations that are around to uh, help clean up the ocean are actually all connected to the fishing industry, which is the main Mm -hmm. cause of the problems. And so my my partner was like, "Uh, I don't want to eat fish anymore. And I said to him, well, there's a problem. Like there's no way of finding out uh, if the fish that you purchase is, you know, propagated ethically. And so these are things that are starting to create meaning to us. Mm-hmm. And then we started talking about, you know, what about the meat that we buy? What about the eggs that we buy? And, you know, I said to him, well, actually that's why when I first met him, he used to buy like, caged eggs because they were the cheapest eggs 
and yeah. from the supermarket. Whereas yeah. I will go and pay top dollar for eggs and it used to be like, why? Why would you pay so much? They're just eggs. I'm like, they're not just eggs. There's a whole thing that goes on behind yeah. it that yeah. means something to me. And um, I know that those eggs are farmed just up the road from me. I can go and check on the welfare if I wanted to. Yeah. I would drive past the farm. You can see from the road that it is what it says it is. And mm -hmm. therefore, I have trust in that brand. So I will mm -hmm. pay the premium amount of money and also not I will forego convenience because I have mm -hmm. to go to a, a separate location to pick up eggs. Yeah. Um, if it means that I am feeling better about that brand. So Absolutely. yeah, that makes so much, so much sense to me. Well, and I, I think that for many people, part of their identity is how they consume yeah. and what they consume. And, um, you know, we, I mean, we were talking about Apple before. I mean, I don't, I would imagine that it's the same in Australia as it is here that, you know, when the new iPhones come out, people will line up to get them. Yeah, now, they do. people are doing <laughs> that because, you know, to them, it has meaning to be one of the first to have the new technology, you mm. know, for whatever reason. I mean, yeah. I'm not that crazy. Um, but. <laughs> But, you know, for some people that has a lot of meaning, right? And so, um, you know, if, if that represents meaning to them, that means that they're going to be more loyal as long as, I mean, you have to think about um, brands as being in relationships with the, with the consumers, right? Definitely. It really is a relationship and it is about, I mean, most of us, if we're in a, a happy, healthy relationship, there is consistency, yeah. right? And yeah. where, you know, we expect our partner to come home every night around the same time. And if they are promising to do something, hopefully they're going to do it at least, you know, maybe in the second time you ask them, right? But there's there's some consistency there, right? It's not <laughs> it's not like they're they're like leaving the house to get milk and they never come back, right? Um, <laughs> I, have, I have heard of, I have Sorry. heard of that in Sorry some relationships. Sorry for anyone listening, suddenly yeah. triggered. <laughs> uh, well, you know, usually those are not, you know, trusting, happy relationships. You were and, too good for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, usually that's, you know, that's what you hear in divorce court, right? That's yeah. <laughs> um, but you're but, right, uh, it is, it's a relationship. That, yeah. that is based on uh, values and understanding what is meaningful to the people that you want to serve. And expectations. Yeah, I, I think one of the, the classic mistakes by a very well-trusted brand is here in the U.S., and I don't know if this, was, this happened worldwide, but for whatever stupid reason, Coca-Cola decided they were going to come out with the new Coke, like back in the 80s or 90s, and... You know, some people drink Coca-Cola multiple times a day. Mm. And, you know, for those of us who, you know, grew up drinking Coca-Cola, it's a very unique taste. Yeah. And I don't understand at all why they would just decide um, we're just going to change the formula. We just think it's a good thing to change the formula, which they just tried calls. to do that. And it, yeah, you know, I mean, and the reality was that they weren't understanding that that taste and that look and, and, mm. you know, the, the fact that it was so consistent had meaning for people. Yeah. And it probably, you know, was very emotional too, because they would think about like, oh, when my grandpa used to take me to the store to buy a Coca-Cola, right? Like there's an emotional meaning um, I could give you two examples for the Australian listeners that would be equivalent to when Coke changed the way they did Coke. Number one, when Cadbury chocolate changed to using palm oil, mm. right, uproar, absolute uproar. It changed the taste of Australia's favourite chocolate, for one. It was very oily uh, instead of creamy. And palm oil is obviously one of the biggest uh, known uh, issues around um, orangutan monkey population. So Australia suddenly became implicit in the murdering of 
of these beautiful animals. And the second uproar was when we have uh, a little uh, snack. You, we call them biscuits. What do you call them? Cookies. Yeah. A savory cookie called shapes and Mm -hmm. Arnott's the brand that owns shapes decided out of nowhere that they were going to completely change the way shapes were made and they changed the flavorings and so shapes are iconic in Australia iconic they have been around since the dawn of time and they are one of Australia's favorite savory snacks to eat and when you go and mess with people's shapes like <laughs> yes people yeah. people in Australia can be differentiated just as uh, they might follow a football team. There's akin to the type of shapes they eat. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. So <laughs> right. if I, as a pizza shapes lover, uh-huh. uh, meet someone that eats barbecue shapes, <laughs> I will actually be like, barbecue shapes. Right? So are they That's, like crackers? crackers? Yeah, crackers. Yeah, yeah, yes. crackers. Okay, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, crackers. So people go crackers over, <laughs> yeah. right, over changing, yes. changing iconic things like that. So I, I can't quite remember Coke changing it, but I've never really been a uh, soft drink drinker either. But my mm-hmm. son loves Pepsi. And I, mm-hmm. even though I don't really drink soft drink, I do prefer Coke coca-cola mm-hmm. over pepsi yeah. and so he drinks pepsi and i'll be like oh just have a sip and they're like ah, yes oh, yeah God. it's so funny that's so in I the u.s envisage yeah, it's, how coca-cola drinkers felt. coke versus pepsi here too and never the the two shall meet it's <laughs> definitely it's kind of like your crackers example it's like i i like coke i like pepsi yeah and it's definitely yeah, it's, a thing so I think from a from a brand perspective, there's always ways you can innovate a brand, but oh god, don't mess with iconic stuff. Understand, <laughs> understand the meaning yes. that it has. It could be an emotional meaning. It could be, you know, maybe people are using your product in a way that's different than what you you intend it to be used. Yeah. And sometimes if you don't understand the meaning to the consumer, you can really bumble into making some really bad mistakes. And we've, you know, talked about a a number of them and it wouldn't take long for us to come up with many more. Um, But it's all, it's all because of the lack of understanding of the meaning of the product to the consumer. Mm. It's critical to understand that. I couldn't agree more. It's so funny though, because I think poor Coca-Cola would never realize that we, um, at Bunnings, uh, which is the, the Australian equivalent to Home Depot, we would use Coke to clean the blackboards. So you'd have these <laughs> huge, huge, like huge blackboards that would have the prices written uh, of the product in chalk. And the best thing to keep those blackboards spick and span was spraying them and wiping them down in Coca-Cola. And I imagined... <laughs> If Coke Amatel wow. found out that they'd be like, oh, let's not yeah. advertise that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, good point, though, that, you know, you never know how your product's being being used. And maybe there, there's a certain segment of the marketplace that is buying Coke to clean blackboards. And maybe if they change the formula, maybe it wouldn't work that way. Diet and then Coke they'd be like, work. gee, why? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Diet Coke, you know, why? Diet Coke doesn't they, work. They might be saying, like, why did our market share go down? Yeah. Oh, because we didn't understand mm-hmm. the meaning that it had for people at the um, the local, you know, hardware store. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah we go through different. a lot of Coke, too. I remember, <laughs> I remember one store, they tried to do it on the cheap, and they tried to go and buy, like, a no-name brand cola, and the boards were just smearing, and they, they had to bite the bullet and just accept Coke as Coke is where it's at. That's that whatever, is fascinating. Whatever that is, is in it. fascinating. Oh my gosh. That I learned um, something new every day. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, they are some amazing insights into how you can go and create a value driven brand. Thank you so much, Terry. I am so appreciative that we got to catch up and learn from the marketing master. 
yourself. And if you are uh, wanting to get more wonderful insights from Terry, you can because she has her own marketing podcast. As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, she is the host of Marketing Mambo. And uh, give us a bit of a like insight. What do you what do you cover on your marketing podcast? I talk about well. What I say is like cha cha chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the world. It is not a hot how-to podcast on marketing. It is, um, it's about marketing, insights into marketing by people who are doing marketing um, or are around marketing. Mm-hmm. I, I've had um, at least a couple of sales people or sales trainers come on and talk about the importance of the relationship between sales and marketing. Yeah. I've had a change management consultant come on and talk about um, how you run good change management because very often in marketing we are leading change. You know, whether it's a new brand or we're introducing a new product or whatever, mm-hmm. it's important to understand how that's done. I've had um, marketers from a lot of different areas come in and talk, whether it's direct mail fundraising or it's, um, it's higher education marketing. I mean, I, I'm just super curious and I worked for a long time in marketing, but marketing is such a huge arena and I'm just super curious about, you know, how people are marketing in different areas of the economy. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, in many ways, it's just me being super curious and meeting cool people and asking them to come and talk to me on my podcast. That's exactly what I do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, the, it's one of the funnest things that I've done in my life is start a podcast. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I have an absolute ball. I, uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the um, production part, but this part, definitely my favorite bit (laughs) yeah me too me too and then if we want to get our hands on your book where is the best apart from I'm going to preface this with saying the link uh to also get your book will be available at valuedrivenbrand.com dot no see I'm out of practice valuedrivenbrand forward slash podcast series which is also where you're going to find this podcast and the video recording but apart from that where else can they go searching for your book my book is available worldwide on amazon amazon do you have one do you have a copy there i can see it behind you there you go next to you there you go that is what you are looking for if you are listening you will just have to go to the website and uh, watch the video as well see terry's lovely face and you can get a copy of her book through amazon worldwide and go and check out the reviews from some other amazing amazing uh business and psychologists and just amazing people in general really have gone and read your book and all agree that your book is where it's at. So <laughs> congratulations. Thank that is you. a fantastic Thanks. achievement. I am in the midst of uh, writing my first book as we speak. So it's um, definitely, definitely something that I look forward to coming back and telling everybody about. It's um, a slightly jarring uh, title though compared to yours. It's called The Joy of Sex. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because uh, I don't know if you can see, I, I oh, work I in yeah. customer experience. Oh, and okay. customer experience as an acronym is CX. And then mm-hmm. when you add in the employee experience, it's CEX. And then mm-hmm. I went, hang on a minute, something's missing. I'm going <laughs> to add in the human experience. Yes. So I do a lot of uh, talking and speaking around the joy of sex. I love it. Yes. That's, that's a nice way to get some attention. <laughs> but on a very, something that's super important though. I mean, that's, you know, it's funny because um, we just scratched the surface of how much I could talk about marketing. Oh, and, yeah. you know, and, and uh, you know, customer experience is just so critical, really. It's where the rubber meets the road. Really, and um, it's so important for organizations to understand that, and that really is, you know, that's the delivery of the brand, of the mm. brand promise, for sure. is the customer experience. Yeah, um, 
so that's so cool. You know, as mom to mom, I would say my book's been out for about a year and a half now. And the thing that I would compare it most closely to is giving birth to a child. Oh, wow. Because, well, I mean, it, it literally took, it took me about, you know, nine or 10 months to write my book. And uh, it was, it was at times very painful. I had a lot of doubts at times like, oh, is this going to, you know, what kind of book is this going to be? Are people going to like it? <laughs> yes. And, and then once it comes out, um, it really, it has a life of its own. It's yeah. out there in the world, interacting with people, just like eventually your children do. Yeah. And um, it's, it's been really fulfilling. And you do sort of forget the pain of writing it. <laughs> just Come like, yeah, that's why I, I've got three kids, you know, so clearly I forgot about the pain <laughs> of childbirth, you know, and. Um, oh, that's hilarious. I love it. Yeah. That's a great analogy. And I would I'd say by the time, I'm all said and done. It probably would be a nine, nine-ish month activity. Yeah, exactly. so, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm about halfway through now. So I am looking forward to giving birth. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, before I let you go, now, if you haven't tuned in before, you might not be aware of this, that all of my guests are kind enough to fill in a guest profile form for me. And that gives me some deeper insights into the type of human that they are and the experiences that they've had in their life. And one of the questions that I ask all of them is what is the song that makes you ready or pumped up for anything? <laughs> Do you remember the song that you told me? Yes, it's what Walking on Sunshine, Walking on Sunshine by K- Katrina and the Waves. I Walking love on it. Sunshine, yeah. Such a banger. <laughs> now, yes. for those of you who might not know, I ask that question, A, because I think it gives beautiful insight into the type of human that I'm working with. And I then also go and add that song onto a playlist that is available at valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. So where you find this uh, podcast with myself and Terry, uh, you will also find the link to the Spotify playlist and it will have Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves available on that playlist as well. So as I say to everybody, once you've downloaded that playlist, if you are not pumped up and ready for anything, I think you need to go back to bed and start <laughs> again. <laughs> because that is such a cool idea. I love that. Yeah, it's so, so much fun. And um, I think only maybe twice. I've had someone come and say the same same uh, song, so it's it's actually been really fantastic to, and it's so eclectic. We have techno, we have hip hop, we have pop from the seventies, we have symphony orchestras, like just the the insight, getting into people's heads to see what actually pumps them up and gets them ready for anything is just. the the piece of resistance for me. So thank you so much for your contribution, Terry. And thank you so much for joining me today on the Value Driven Brand Podcast. Thank you for having me. It was really very fun. I I really enjoyed it. That is so good. Now, as I mentioned before, you will be able to find this podcast and all of the ways that you can get in touch with Terry and get her book and access her podcast, uh, Marketing Mumbo, on Value Driven Brand uh, forward slash. No, why do I always? My poor transcript editor is going to have a field day with me. He's going to say, Aileen, really, what were you doing? It is is valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. That is where you will find all of this information. And obviously the podcast will be available on all good podcast outlets. So again, Terry, thank you so much. I look forward to releasing this and um, getting to listen to your podcast as well and learning more about how you help people create a value-driven brand That is it from me today. Until next time, please get out there and deliver value to somebody else out in the world because we all know what goes around comes around. I'm Aileen Day. Until next time.
Thanks for listening to the Value Driven Brand Podcast with your host, Aileen Day. Is your business struggling to become known as the sought-after leader in your industry? Access our Value Driven Brand Quiz and special three-part podcast series to identify the gaps and what you need to focus on first. Go to www.valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. That's valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. Tune in next time where we discuss more ideas on how you can deliver your own value-driven brand.